Welcome to the People's Church Sermoncast. You can join us for our live worship services on Sundays at 10 a.m. People's Church is located at the corner of Mill Plain and Andreessen in Vancouver, Washington. Please visit our website at peoplesvancouver.church to learn more about our community and how you can get involved. And now for this week's sermon. You're listening to the sermon cast from People's Church of Vancouver, Washington. You're invited to join us on Sunday mornings at 10:30 a.m. We're located at 6801 East Mill Plain Boulevard in Vancouver, Washington. For more information, visit us at peopleschurchvancouver.org. Now for this week's sermon. Well, what a great day to be in the house of God. Amen. Great day to be in God's house today. Boy, oh boy. I love the fact that we are into and walking through the Easter season. Um, Next Sunday will be Palm Sunday. That is the day that we celebrate the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ into the city of Jerusalem. He got on that little donkey Rode into town, everybody's swinging those palm branches, welcoming him into town. And uh, I was reading that story this week, I was reading that story this week, and uh, I'm not going to talk about Palm Sunday today, that'll be whoever's job it is to speak next week, okay? But I've been reading through the Gospels, and I've been reading the account of, of, of the Easter story, and uh, in preparation for today... And as I've been reading through the four Gospels, the different little, it's funny, the little difference in, in nuances, the way the writer tells the story, the little different details uh, that are featured and highlighted, it's, it's very interesting to compare that. And uh, the thought crossed my mind. I had a whole different direction I was going to go a few weeks ago for today. Um, thought I was going to speak out of the book of Romans, and then I... I got to reading the book of Romans very thoroughly. Hadn't been in Romans in a while. So after reading the first ten chapters in Romans, and I felt like I took a beating, uh, Romans is almost as hard to understand as Ecclesiastes. It's a tough book. So I said, well, Lord, do you have any other thoughts for me? <laughs> yeah, is there something else I can speak on? And he, God said, yeah, I got you, son. Don't worry about it. So as I'm going through the book of Matthew, I settled into Matthew and I read the Easter story or the triumphal entry in, in chapter 21, in Matthew 21, and then I, this thought came upon me and it was very prevalent. What was Jesus doing in the days and the weeks before all of this took place? What was he doing? So I went backwards and I read 20 and then I read... 19, and then I read 18, and then I read 17, and then I went back to 16, and I got a good feel for what Christ was doing in the days leading up to the triumphal entry, uh, the way they treated him, the beating that he took for all of us, and eventually hanging on the cross and the resurrection, all that good stuff. And the short answer of what Jesus was doing was he was teaching and he was healing. And he was teaching, and he was healing, and he was teaching, and he was healing, and he was preaching the kingdom of God. He wanted everyone that he came in contact with 
to understand that the kingdom of God was at hand. And he, and he was doing his level best not to be haughty, proud, boastful, and all of that, but he was basically saying, hey, y'all, the kingdom of God is among you. I'm walking the streets. I'm in your homes. I'm doing ministry, and this is the kingdom of God on the earth right now. And it would be real easy to say, well, why didn't Jesus go find a cave to hide into and hang out until it was time to go pray in the garden? Or time to go hang on the cross? I believe Jesus was doing all of the preaching and teaching and healing and ongoing ministry that he did. One, I don't believe he had fear. The human side of him might have been a little, it might have been trepidatious, you know. But I believe that in all of his heart, he understood his purpose more than anything. He understood his purpose, so he just kept preaching the kingdom of God. In Matthew 16, he predicts his own death. So it's not like he didn't know what was waiting for him in Jerusalem. He tried to impress it upon his disciples, and they said, No, 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 Lord, you don't, you don't know what you're talking about. That, that cannot happen. Because they were finally at a place where they're thinking, Hey, we're going to make some... We're going to make some big inroads here. We're going to make some big progress in the kingdom of God because the Messiah has come. What do you mean, Lord? You have to be beaten, crucified, and go into a grave and be raised three days later. What, are you, what are, in the world are you talking about? That's not a part of the game plan. So in going through all of this, and as I said, I don't want to zero in on the Easter side of things. And if you see me wiping my eyes, I have a leaky eye, so... Let's just go with it, shall we? Um, I'm not tearing up quite yet. That may happen because, you know, I'm old and I'm soft-hearted. But um, I, got a, I got an eye over here that if I wear my glasses so I can see everything around me, it's going to leak like a sieve. So it's the way it goes. I settled in on chapter 20, Matthew chapter 20. And let me give you a little groundwork for this parable before we read it. This is the parable of the workers and the vineyard. And what I found interesting was, this parable doesn't show up in the book of Mark, the book of Luke, or the book of John. Matthew is the only writer of the Gospels that zeroed in on this particular parable. And as I read it, I thought, you know what? This is what Jesus was all about. He was teaching, and he was healing, and he was teaching, and he was healing. So if you've got your Bible or your mobile device or whatever, let's look at Matthew chapter 20. I'm going to read it out loud, and you can read along with me. Uh, The first 16 verses tell this story. It starts in verse 1 there. It says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. Surprise, surprise. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went, and he went out again about noon, and about three in the afternoon, and he did the very same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around, and he asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? I'm going to pause right there. I'm going to say, well... They were day laborers. They hadn't found any labor that day. There wasn't going to be any income, and I think most of them were afraid to go home to their wives and kids empty-handed. To be honest with you, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? They came back and said, because no one has hired us, they answered. 
He said to them, you also go work in my vineyard. I'm assuming it was harvest time. Had to be more than just cutting down weeds. When the evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers in, pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. And the workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Look at this today, folks. This is what we're going to get into and dissect and dive into. Verse 12, these who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them and he said, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Did you not agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the ones who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you so envious that because I'm generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Now, be honest. Weren't you just tickled pink hearing the reading of this parable? Did your heart leap for joy? Hearing what happened to these guys who started at 6 a.m. and finished at 6 p.m. Got the same pay, didn't they? So probably not. But let's face it. This is not one of Jesus' more popular parables. This parable runs against the very grain of one of our deeply cherished values, and that is hard work and just reward. The more you work, the more productive you are, the more you ought to get paid. Can I get an amen? Yeah, that's what I thought. You'd all jump on that bandwagon, huh? I don't know too many people that would disagree with that position. But we're going to delve into this and find out what the landowner did instead of doing just that. So those who were complaining, they, they had worked all day and they said, wait a minute, you've made these one-hour guys equal to us. What were you thinking? And I think Jesus taught this. I got to looking at this and and moving some things around and, and, and doing a little deep diving and research. There are some people who are number one in, the, in this world, in this life. And they think that they're going to be number one when they get to heaven. They think they're going to be in fr- first place, pole position. They think they're going to get preferential treatment. And Jesus said, guess what? You're dead wrong on that. He had just dealt with the rich young ruler... In chapter 19, here's this young man. He's probably handsome. He's wealthy. He's served his man, mankind around him. I was going to say he hasn't served the Lord, but he said he'd done all the things that they told him to do growing up. He'd, he'd kept all the commandments and done all of that. And Jesus said, well, that's great, man. I'm happy for you. But if you want to follow me, then go sell all your belongings, give it to the poor, and follow after me. And this poor young ruler, rich young ruler, he couldn't do it. He just couldn't make it happen. So Jesus had just dealt with that, and I believe that he was teaching this parable in Matthew 20. So some who think they're going to be first, they're going to run first place, whatever, they're going to find themselves last when they get to heaven, and it's going to be a stark, rude awakening. And so I think he was trying to prep them. When he told him, hey, the last shall be first, the first shall be last, and that's the way it goes. So 
Is it, is it not right? It's just not right? Or is it right that some people get more than they deserve and others might get a little less? So let's look back at this a little bit. The landowner had gone out at 6 a.m. That's when they started their day typically. In Bible days, it was agricultural, a lot of it, and they had to get out into the fields before it got hot. And he promised to pay them what amounted to what was minimum wage for that time frame. It was one denarius during each day. It was considered a basic wage for a man to feed his family for a day. Now the landowner, then he went back. He says, man, I don't have enough guys out here, so i got to go back and try this again. So he went back at 9 a.m., and he hired additional workers. He went back at noon, he hired a few more workers. He went back at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, hired a few more, put them to work. And at 5 o'clock, he was still in need, and so he went back to the marketplace, and he hired even more workers to come and work the final hour of the day. And he simply told them, as Scripture tells us, that he would pay them what was right. They had to have a little trust in this guy that owned the, owned the vineyard. He said, I'll pay you what is right. There's a little quote that I read that went along with this story. It says, the wage offered doesn't prove that the rewards of heaven are given in payment for works we have done or for a debt we are owed. No, it's all about grace. Free grace signifies that there is a reward waiting for us and it is a significant one. Aren't you glad for that? Romans chapter 4, verse 4, says this. Now to him who works... See, I got I fed in a little Romans in here today, didn't I? Didn't, didn't even dawn on me. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. In other words, if God's rewards were payment for our work we had done, then it couldn't be grace, could it? It wouldn't be grace. But we can rest assured that whatsoever is right, That's what the Bible says. That's what the landowner quoted. Whatsoever is right. You're never going to lose anything working for God, working in the kingdom of God, putting your hand to the plow in the kingdom of God, so to speak. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8 says this, Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. Sounds promising, doesn't it? Which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, not only to me, but also to all who have appeared, who, has lo- who have loved his appearing. That's the promise of God for you and I. If we're faithful to work in the kingdom, if we're not afraid to go out and work hard in the noonday sun, so to speak, then that is, there is a laid up for me a crown of righteousness. I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty good. It sounds promising. Great is our reward, amen? You know what I love about that? It says that the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. He's going to be handing out crowns of glory when we get to heaven, amen? Amen. What I love about that is God is a man of his word. God is a man of his word. He's not a man in the human sense, but we are created in his image. But he's a man of his word. He's never late. He's always on time whether it fits our perfect schedule or not, right? That's what God is all about. Now, this 11th hour that we talked about was at 5 p.m. That was one hour 
before the work day was over. So they pretty much worked from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., and then they were done. They could go home, wash up, have some supper, whatever they needed to do. Let me just take a moment here for just a couple of minutes and shift gears, and let's talk about the practical application of this 11th hour thing, okay? Some enter into the kingdom of God in old age, at their 11th hour, so to speak, when life is almost spent, okay? There's kind of a maybe an hour left in, in, in their lifetime. I thought of, as I, as I wrote this stuff down, I thought of my grandpa, Grandpa Dalton, my mom's dad. Grandpa died, he was 99 and six months, okay? He was six months from his 100th birthday when he died. And I remember my brother doing the, the graveside service for him. He looked over at the coffin and he said, Gramps, you couldn't have waited six more months, couldn't you? We could have got you to 100, triple digits. Everybody just kind of chuckled. But Grandpa lived 99 and six months. Grandpa was a kind of a foul dude, okay? He had basically gone through life listening to my grandmother preach at him. My grandmother was the kind... Now, he, Grandpa was a heathen. There's no doubt about that. He could drink like a fish and cuss like a sailor. I mean, this guy was rough. Always getting called on the carpet for fighting with co-workers when he worked for a simple valve company there in Long Beach, California. Everybody loved Grandpa, but he was a rough, rough man. And all of his life, Grandma had preached to him. All of his life, my mom, his daughter, had preached at him, trying to get him to commit his life and give his heart to the Lord and accept salvation, and he wouldn't do it. He would bow his neck. He would say, ah, I don't need that stuff. And uh, I always liked going to Grandma and Grandpa's house um, because he always had a pitcher of orange juice in the fridge that was different than what Grandma fed us. So I was always wanting a sip of Grandpa's orange juice. Well, a little little later in life, about junior high, I figured out why my mom would always slap my hand. I'll come to find out it was a screwdriver. And he'd mix them up in a pitcher and put it in the fridge. And, you know, we weren't allowed to have alcohol. And uh, thank God for that. But anyway, Grandpa died at 99 in six months. And everybody had tried to preach to him. He'd come to church and hear my dad preach. He'd come to church when we were in the area and hear us kids sing. Because we had a singing group and we'd go church to church. And he'd put on his Sunday best and come and sit through that. And, and uh, Dave would give a salvation. My little brother would give a salvation call. And Grandpa would just sit there like a bump on a log and completely reject the gospel message. So on his deathbed, Grandpa was on his deathbed. They had brought in one of those hospital beds that you stick in the living room. And that's where he camped out until it was time to... Meet his maker. And I remember the story of my Aunt Janelle, sweetheart of a lady. She's just a little Baptist lady. Well, she's not so little, but she was raised Baptist. She's kind of quiet. Never preached at him once. She just went over to his place that day and sat, sat on, the, on the hospital bed and held his hand. And she said, Bill, I realize that you're probably not much longer for this earth. He was, he was starting to slip away, and, and he was... He was just moments from from meeting his maker. Death was at his doorstep. She held his hand and she said, Bill, I know you're not much longer for this for this world, and I know you've heard people preach the gospel to you all these years. And uh, wouldn't you like to know 
that when you draw your last breath, you'd wake up in heaven and be with the Lord the rest of eternity? Very softly, he said, yes, I'd like that. She says, can I pray with you? I get tender thinking about it. Because he was a tough old bird. He was tough. And uh, would you like me to pray with you, Janelle said. And he said, yes, I would. She prayed the sinner's prayer. And two days later, he was gone. And with the assurance of my heart, I know that man is, is in heaven. And uh, that's an 11th hour experience. We don't all have to go there, but some do go there by choice. And it makes it a little rough. I guess I should wipe my eyes so I can see my notes to move on. I thought about the cross, hang, the thief hanging on the cross next to Jesus. 11th hour guy. He'd lived a life of absolute hell. The Bible doesn't even record what kind of bad guy he was, but you've got to be pretty good, if pretty bad, if you're going to get hung on a cross. So he looks over at him in the 11th hour, and Jesus said, guess what? Today, because of your faith, you're going to be with me in paradise. Wow. Wow. The 11th hour. Because he was only moments from death, but he still got it right with God. And the Bible kind of declares that none of us are going to enter in the 12th hour. Once the day is over, it's a done deal. It's a done deal. The 12th hour, man, that gong's good. That clock's going to ring, and we're done. So you've got to enter while there's still opportunity to do so. Yes, God can save us, even at the last minute, like Grandpa Bill. But how do we know we'll even have a last minute? How do, we, do we have any reassurances? No. A sudden accident, a sudden heart attack, the slow dulling of our mental abilities. I have a buddy from Champion Center when we were in Tacoma for 20 years, and his name was, what was, the big guy that sang in my choir. Joe, Joe Cheshire. Joe sang in my choir, happy-go-lucky guy, always battled with his weight. But he was, he, you seemed, he seemed pretty healthy. We'd go out and play golf on my days off on Mondays, and we'd have a good time. And, and Joe was just a great guy. Played big, boisterous characters in our drama productions and everything. And Joe was down in, uh, see, Joe would have been in his... At the time, Joe would have been in his mid-50s. And uh, he was with his cousin down in Scottsdale at a professional golf tournament. And they were walking down the fairway, going from one hole to the next, to watch the professionals hit the ball. And uh, Joe loved golf. And uh, he'd go every chance he got. But this time he got, a, he got a ticket to go to whatever that tournament is they play in Scottsdale every year with the professionals. And Joe and his cousin are walking along. And uh, all Joe uttered out of his mouth, he said, uh-oh. And he dropped dead of a heart attack right there in the fairway. They tried to revive him. He knew what hit him. He could, he could tell. And that's all he had to say was, uh-oh. And he was a dead man. But he knew Jesus. He hadn't waited till the 11th hour. But there was no guarantees past about his 55th birthday. It was a done deal. So I am glad that God will take care of us. So, a heart attack, an accident, the slow deterioration of our of our mental capacities. That and a hundred other things could keep us from accepting Christ and could keep us from serving Christ. So, don't put it off till the 11th hour. That is my admonition to you today.
So let's go back and look at our story. The workers that were hired during the 11th hour were not given a pay scale or a guarantee. The landowner simply said, whatsoever's right, I'll take care of you at the end of the day. I'm not sure that you and I could work under an arrangement like that. The boss's idea of what might be the right pay could be a completely different interpretation of what you think might be the right pay. There's this great divide that I looked at in our nation between CEOs and workers. Between CEOs and workers. For instance, Walmart, a CEO makes $25 million a year. That's a year, folks. Median pay for a Walmart employee is $22,500. Starbucks CEO makes $21 million a year. Median pay for a Starbucks employee is $32,000 a year. So a little bit better. The CEO at Chipotle Restaurants makes $29 million a year, and the median pay for Chipotle employees is $19,000 a year. You talk about a chasm as wide as the Grand Canyon between the haves and the have-nots. But here's the biblical principle I want to point out. When we labor for Jesus, we can trust in his justice. Amen? Verse 8 came along in our text. So when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers in and give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. Now that's not the normal way it was done. How many of you know that to be true? Each worker files by the foreman. He gives them a denarius. And it doesn't matter how long of a day they had worked, everybody got the same pay. And we, in our righteous indignation, we say, now wait a minute. That's not right. That's not fair. See, the landowner wasn't playing by their rules, by our rules, so to speak. He had his own idea. Never mind the fact that they got exactly what they were promised. The fact that they, the others got the same, I think, was too big of a pill for these guys to swallow. That's not fair. Could have been the title of my message today. The title was Last Minute Details. Last-minute details. Sometimes it's all in the details, amen? But the title could have been, that's not fair, because sometimes it's not. But they came, they agreed on a price with the landowner ahead of time, and they worked as agreed, and they got their just reward. So why were these guys so cranky? Why were they upset at the end of the day when they got what they had been promised? This parable right here, this pits justice against grace. Justice against grace. And sometimes the two, they don't always balance out. It violates what I call our sense of right and wrong. Let me ask you some questions that have come up in the, in the process of putting this sermon together. If God is the landowner, if that's the purpose of this parable, what does this mean for us, for you and I? Does it mean that God is, isn't always fair? Perhaps. Does it mean that God's sense of justice is different than ours? Probably. Okay? Does it mean that God's grace is beyond anything that we can imagine? Absolutely. Absolutely. Does it mean that we are jealous because God is generous? Most likely. Most likely. Amen? The landowner came back at these guys. He says, don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? 
Are you envious because I'm generous? Take what I gave you, go home, feed your family. That was his encouraging word to them. How many of you know that work is more than just a daily wage? More than just earning a daily wage? The sad reality is the world we live in, it can determine whether or not we're considered successful or a failure. We can, whether, it, whether we are superior, it can determine whether or not in other people's eyes, whether we're superior or inferior. It can be a source of division and sometimes competition. Do they still put the, everybody's name up on the board at the dealership and you know who's doing what? And, and, and it's kind of like one of them horse races where you know who the guy is in the lead and who's in second. And it, okay, this guy's sold 15 cars so far this month and this guy sold eight. And yeah, it can, it can be divisive and not even on purpose unless it's maybe to just spur guys on to do better, to see better things ahead. But it can create that kind of thing in our minds, division and competition. But the landowner comes along and he upsets the apple cart completely which I love, which is like the Lord to do in our lives, puts everybody on a equal playing field. Isn't that wonderful? So let me ask you today, in the course of this sermon, what is it that motivates you to do what you do? What is it that motivates you? Whether you're employed full-time, whether you serve as a volunteer, whether you work in the community, or you work around the house. What motivates you to do what you do? Now, if it's money or recognition or the praise of others, I'm just going to tell you, be very careful. Be very careful. Don't invest yourself in those things. There's a little quote that goes right along with this thought. Most jobs don't pay enough to satisfy a healthy ego. Let me read that again. Most jobs don't pay enough to satisfy a healthy ego. Say, well, Mike, how do we resolve this issue in our own lives if that's the case? Well, here's what Colossians 3.23 says. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord's Christ. I love that. You will receive the reward of of the inheritance, it's already been determined. Remember the landowner, whatsoever is right. I think Father God has taken that same position with us. And when we work as toward our Heavenly Father, we will receive the reward of the inheritance. For it's Him we serve, not man. The second problem with these disgruntled workers is that they lacked a healthy sense of gratitude. It just wasn't evident in their lives. Think about this for a moment. Have you ever been out of work? We could probably all raise our hand. Have you ever applied for a job and been turned down? I remember when I was in Roseburg and I was working for uh, the tech company based out of Eugene. And the tech company got sold and I was out of a job. And I went and interviewed with who, a fellow who I would consider a friend of mine. And I sat in his office, and I thought, I thought, man, this is a shoe-in. This is a piece of cake. And he sat right there, and he said, well, Mike, if I hire you, what happens in six months when you decide to go back into full-time ministry? I went, oh, I didn't think about that. I was just trying to stay in, in the burg. 
I was trying to stay in my dream home, in my forever home. I was just trying to hang on by the skin of my teeth. He says, so I'm going to do you a favor, Mike. I'm not going to hire you. I'm like, excuse me? You're going to do what? No, he says, he says you've got the call of God on your life. And, uh, and you're going to do what God's put in your heart. And he says, and I'm afraid this would simply be a stopgap measure for you. So I'm going to do you a favor, and I'm not going to hire you. And I said, well, are we still going to be friends? <laughs> he said, yeah, we're still friends. It's not a problem. But he did me a favor, and it wasn't long after that that Larry Mulkey called me and said, hey, would you be interested in coming to Vancouver? I said, I don't know. Where's Vancouver? <laughs> I gave him one of those. <laughs> yeah, he did you a favor, too. Let me ask you this. Can you remember how grateful you were when you got hired or you got that letter that came to you offering you that position that you've been wanting? Let me ask you this. What happens to that feeling of gratitude once you're on the job for a while and the newness kind of wears off? As they say in the business, the honeymoon's over. Huh? What, what is it about that? Isn't that when we really begin to complain sour grapes we get a funny look on our face and we begin to find fault in everything that's going on around us you know those who are grateful to be employed they have very little to complain about they have very little to grumble about it's when gratitude gives way to routine that we become disgruntled and then we begrudge others who might be in the same place we are because maybe they're doing better than we are or they've got it better off than we are. We might view it that way. Michael's going to put this quote up. I thought it was good enough that I'm have him put it up as I read this from an author. It says, God's justice arises out of a sense of community in which we see the 11th hour workers as our brothers and sisters whose needs are every bit as important as our own. Let me... Read that again. Michael, if you'll just leave that up there for a while until we sing the last song. God's justice arises out of a sense of community in which we see the 11th hour workers as our brothers and sisters whose needs are every bit as important as our own. Let me, let me put it this way. Next time you get bent out of shape on the job, when someone else gets more than they deserve, ask yourself a couple of questions, okay? What does that say about your relationship to the other person? What does that say? What does that put in your mind? Would you feel the same way if this were your brother or your sister or your father or your mother? Would you harbor that same ill attitude? I would hope not. I would hope that you would do and embrace that little slide that talks about God's justice and how we see those 11th hour people in our lives. Amen? Now I'm getting ready to close. And before I do, I'm going to invite the band to come back. Because we're going to close with a song and make it our prayer today. So I'm going to invite them to come back to the stage. And as they do, I'm going to read you my closing story. The story is told of a man who died and went to heaven. And St. Peter met him at the pearly gates and asked to examine his qualifications. We have a point system here, St. Peter said, and only those with enough points are allowed to enter. Hmm, 
points, the man asked. I don't know what you're talking about. St. Peter explained, well, it's simple. We determine how many points you have by the life you've led. Wow, that's a scary thought. We require a hundred points to get into heaven. Tell me about your life, and I will add up your points. The man thought for a minute, and he said, well, let's see. I was a faithful member of my church for over 47 years. I served as a deacon and an elder, and I taught Sunday school. St. Peter said, hmm, very good. You get one point. (laughs) The man said to himself, oh my, well, let's see. I was a good husband and a good father. I tithed to my church, and I contributed to all sorts of charities. I helped with various civic projects, and I served on several committees. Doesn't that count for anything? St. Peter smiled and said, indeed it does. You get another point. He's up to two points. The man's face just sank, and he said, I can see now I will never make it. The only way I'd ever get into this place is by the grace of God. St. Peter smiled real big and said, and that, my friend, is worth 98 points. <laughs> yeah. Aren't you glad for God's justice in, in, our, in all of our lives? I know I am. I, and I hope this parable has helped you today. I hope just digging in and, and, and kind of carving up uh, this portion of scripture that it helps you. Now, I, I realize, that, realize that some of you are retired, but you still give your time to, to worthy causes. So if you're not on the job every day, all day, then apply it accordingly to wherever you, at, you are at in your walk of life. Amen.